0: Well, good morning. Uh, we are uh, very glad that you are here today, and we hope that uh, that the, the things that we have to talk about will be things that will be encouraging to you, will be edifying, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna preach from an Old Testament story uh, that I heard a lesson on back in about 1984 or 85, and although this lesson will take a quite different course than that one. Uh, The story has always fascinated me. And so I want to look at it. And and before we go into reading the story, um, I want to tell you about some of the characters, or one of the characters anyway. Uh, The main character in this is Jephthah. And Jephthah was a judge of Israel for some six years. But uh, prior to him becoming a judge uh, and judging over Israel, he was a great man of war, and he led Israel in a battle against the, the Ammonites and was successful um, in, in his battle against them. And, um, and so the, the, the story you're going to read about, we're going to read about this morning, uh, deals with um, his people. Now he was of the tribe of Manassas. But Manassas, and let me show you this on the map, uh, you can see that the, the tribe of Manassas was actually divided, amongst two areas, one on the east side and one on the west side of Jordan. And so over here on the right, uh, which is the east side of Jordan, that, is, that was often referred to as Gilead. And so you'll hear them referred to as Gileadites. Well, so the Manas- even though they were of the tribe of Manasseh, because they were divided by the river, if you lived on the east side, then you were commonly referred to as a Gileadite. Um, And so then the other tribe involved in this is if the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim, and you can see uh, where they resided. Um, And so you're going to see that. Let's just read the story. It says, "Then the men of Ephraim gathered together and crossed over toward Zaphon. Now you can see where Zaphon is on our map, and said unto Jephthah." Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon who did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down with fire. You always thought that was odd, that, hey, we've got this, you had this battle to go fight, and why didn't you include us in it? You know, it wasn't about them wanting to be warriors. You know what it was about? They wanted the credit, and they wanted to share in the spoils. And so that was really the issue here. And Jephthah said to them, My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon, and when I called you, you did not deliver deliver me out of their hands. So I'd already asked, and you didn't come. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my own hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come to me this day to fight against me? Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, You Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. So apparently trash talk back then made people mad too. The the Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived, and when any Ephraimite who escaped said, Let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, Are you an Ephraimite? And if he said no, they would say unto him, Then say, Shibboleth. And he would say, Sibboleth, because he could not pronounce it right. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan. And there fell at that time some 40,000 Ephraimites. So a significant battle. Um, you know, you, almost a similar war here because this is a battle amongst two tribes of Israel. These, these people were supposed to be uh, a one nation. Yet they end up fighting against one another here um, in this situation. So just to recap our story, we have, a, we, have, uh, we have the men of Ephraim coming to Jephthah mad because they wouldn't include them in the battle, like one of those spoils. Jephthah said, well, look, I tried to get you to help me before, and so I went in. When you, when you didn't, I went in and took care of it. And so now you're coming to complain. And so they had this big fight, and the Ephraimites were defeated soundly. And as they shagged and ran back home across the Jordan, they came to the the fords there, the lower parts of the river there at Jordan, and they tried to cross over. And so because they were all Israelites, they looked very similar. And so you couldn't tell the enemy from appearance. But you did know something about their dialect, and that turned to be that, that proved to be the deciding factor here. Is because their dialect was different. When the when the um, the Gileadites would say the word Shiloh, that's not the way it was pronounced in Ephraim, and they said it Shiloh, and they killed them. And so in total, I'm assuming in total, there were about 42,000 of these Ephraimites that were killed. And you know dialects, uh, you know that's true in the United States. Uh, You know, I've heard the word pecan. So if I were gonna do it in the United States, if I were gonna do it in the United States and there was a war here between us and the North and they were to try to get back home, I would show them a, a pecan and I would say, say this, and a lot of the Nordians would say, pecan. <laughs> and we would slay them. No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't. But you get the idea. It's so there's that. Well, I'm sure that that's not the only things that were different about these people, but that was one thing that they knew that they could, they could pounce on and take advantage of. Now, this is another story that you may may remember from um, Matthew chapter 26, uh, the example of the apostle Peter. We know that Jesus said, Peter, before the cock will crow, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no way, Lord, I'll never deny you. So Peter flew. He had already denied him twice. And so then we get to this final case here where it says, a little later, he had already known, so he spoke out, and he said, I, I don't know the man. A little later, those that stood by came up to Peter and, and, and said to him, Surely you are one of those, for your speech betrayeth you. Again, he was from Galilee, and I'm sure the dialect in Galilee was somewhat different than what it would be for, in Judea or, or, or around Jerusalem. And so, no doubt, His dialect, the way that he pronounced words, uh, was very different. If you've ever gone up to uh, New York or something like that, Connie and I went up there some uh, 30 years ago or so, and I still remember being up there and people, New Yorkers, wanting us to to talk. We could have set up a booth, charged for it, because they just wanted us to talk. Now well, we don't think we talk funny, but to a New Yorker, we do. And, and so we all understand that there is differences in dialect. And so Peter was also uh, that. Well, so it's, what's interesting is the word shibboleth actually has a modern-day English meaning, and it's derived from this story back in the Bible. I was actually reading an article the other day, and I ran across the word shibboleth, and what it's referring to is it's a custom, or a principle, or a belief that distinguishes one group from another, and that made me think about us. And you know, Christianity, Christianity has a shibboleth. Christianity people that are of the Lord's are different. And the reason they're different, they have a common culture. And so whether you live in Denton, Texas, or in Tulsa, Oklahoma, or in Boston, or in San Francisco, the Word of God, if you look in the Word of God and you, you ingest that into your being, that will produce the same type of person in Boston as it does in Denton. That's the beauty of the Word. That's our shibboleth, that's our common culture that we we experience and enjoy together. And that's why Christians, I think, enjoy being around each other so much is because we share this common bond, this common culture that's derived from adherence to certain principles and customs and standards that we hold as important and valuable and true. If you, if you think about the first corinthians chapter 13 the chapter about love if you read that chapter it tells you what love is and it tells you what love is not and so not that we always execute it perfectly but someone in completely different areas that have no contact with with one another can look at that passage and understand what god wants you to do with respects to love and if you if you ingest that and you make that part of your being and part of your character and you live that out, it will look very similar wherever you live. That's the shibboleth that we're talking about. You ever, have you ever met someone uh, and maybe they're just an acquaintance, you've got to know them just a little bit and you start to have a suspicion, this person is a serious Christian. Now, you haven't talked about it yet, but because of your conversation, because of the way they carry themselves, the way they conduct themselves, you just get the idea that they're living that out in their lives. Have you ever had anybody come to you and say, are you a Christian? Because not that you talked about it, but because they they saw something in you that was different than they saw in the rest of the world. So then the other question, probably the most important question I can ask is, what do you think the people that you work around now, what do they see? If you go to school, if you, whatever, you, whatever your social or your, uh, your business environments are, what do they see in you? And do they do that, would they identify you as a Christian or would they think, well, you know, not sure, it seems like one well, of the rest of us. And I think it's easy as, even as Christians for us to fall into that and to be that way. So let's look at this passage. In, uh, in Romans chapter 12 it says, Don't be conformed to this world. He's saying, don't try to fit in. That's kind of odd. We all want to fit in. We all want to feel like we belong, whether we're at school or at work. We all are, and we are commanded that we should live peaceably with all men. But it's saying, don't be affected by those things that you know that are wrong and be conformed to the ways of the world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, live out His will. Live out God's will for you in your life. That's a completely different approach to living than what most people have. Again, another passage that we will look at is in Titus chapter 2. He says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So all of these things that are going on in the world. We know they're out there. But a Christian looks at that and says, that's not for me. The reality is, is we can't have it all, can we? We can't have one foot in the world of being a Christian and have uh, the other foot in the the world of just trying to be worldly and like everybody else. So he says, avoid those things. Why? Because you're looking for the blessed hope of the appearing of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? Because he gave himself for us. uh, That he might purify for himself a special people. The word... um, the word in the old king james is a peculiar people unique special uh, set apart that kind of thing um, there's a, the word in the old, again in the old king james there's the word um, conversation and conversation in the old king james simply means your manner of life, and so you think about the apostles and all their teaching. They're teaching people about what their manner of life should be. And so, if we follow that, we're going to we're going to look a lot li- we're going to look like each other because we're prescribing to the same shibboleth, the same principles of living. In uh, the Thessalonians in that letter. Uh, Paul writing to them, says, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. For your faith toward God has gone out so that we don't need, need to say anything. So these brethren at Thessalonica were such that their faith was was pronounced across the world because they, people, people knew that they were different and they were living in a different way. Uh, it says that the brethren at Berea were even more dedicated than those in Thessalonica. So they were, uh, they were serious about this and they, they took on these traits and they lived them out in their lives. Now, one of my favorite shows, and my wife's as well, is the old show West Wing, and I see some smiles because uh, some of you have seen this. And there is an episode of West Wing that the title of it is called Shibboleth and it's pretty interesting uh, because uh, President Bartlett here on the right uh, is—they've got a problem because these Chinese. There was like a hundred Chinese that boarded a cargo ship in the cargo department and they hid themselves away and they stayed on this boat without food for a couple of weeks to get to the United States and seek freedom. And when they got there, they claimed religious persecution. So President Ballard is trying to figure out, are they feigning faith or is this real? Are they just saying this? So he's trying to determine, are these people really, really Christians? So he summons their leader, uh, and this guy flies in from wherever they were, and he lands there, and he comes to the Oval Office, and he meets with the president. And the president asks him some questions. He asks him, "How did you become a Christian?" And he explains, "Well, there was this house church, and he began to go, and finally he was baptized." And so he talked about, "Well, how do you practice, and so forth?" Then he asked this question. I thought it was pretty clever. "Who's the head of your church?" And that's a loaded question if there ever was one. Because, and the guy answered it perfectly because he says, the head of our local congregation is, and he mentions the gentleman's name, he says, but the head of our church is Jesus Christ. And I thought that was brilliant. And he said, Who, who are, and so the next question uh, President Bartlett has is, who are, can you name some of the apostles? And so he names them all which I thought was pretty impressive. And then he finally says this. He says, Mr. President, Christianity is not demonstrated through a resuscitation of facts. You are seeking evidence of faith, a wholehearted acceptance of God's promise for a better world. For we hold that man is justified by faith alone is what St. Paul said. Faith is the true shibboleth. And then President Bartlett says, yes, it is. And you, sir, just said the magic word in more ways than one. Uh, I would take exception with the, using the word faith alone, uh, but uh, I think this is a pretty articulate way of saying what Christianity is. And the reality is, is faith is what drives us to live the way we live. Faith is the true shibboleth is what the gentleman said. And we see this verse in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. i want to talk about that for a minute because uh, it's something that, you know, most of us can quote this verse, or a lot of us can quote this verse. Uh, it's, it's about the only verse that really directly addresses what faith is there's a lot of conversation about faith and we know that he goes on after this verse and the whole chapter is uh is dedicated to cases and men of faith and so he talks about that but he talks about what faith is here and the first phrase i think is interesting is the substance of things hoped for now if you think about what is a substance a substance is something tangible it's something that comes into existence because of a belief. You think about it this morning. Uh, we had a church building that was built here some many years ago. Why? Because of faith. Because there were some men that thought there ought to be a church there that we can worship in because we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and we need a place that we can meet. And worship him and so they built this building you came here this morning as an act of faith there'd be no if you didn't believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God there would be no point in being here to come together to, to uh, sit with other Christians for for 30 minutes or an hour or whatever it takes um, but you do that and you're driven. So my point is that the substance is the reality that occurs because of the belief in something. Let me give you an example of something that's completely off the subject. Um, and actually, it's a little bit interesting, but uh, it's not, not based on truth. Right? So th- this is a $20 bill. It's a $20 bill. How do I know it's a $20 bill? Well, yeah? I don't think it's counterfeit. Um, the reason I think it's worth $20 is the US government will take that in, to pay for $20 of a debt that I owe it. So I can pay my taxes with this and they will, they will accept that as worth $20. There is, no, there is no gold that backs, or any other metal that backs this up. The only thing that makes this work is my faith in it and your faith in it. That's what makes it a reality. Did you know that? But your money is really based on that. It's based on faith. It's I know that Taco Bell will take this and give me burritos for it, and therefore I will go to work and earn money and earn these things so that I can exchange them at Taco Bell or whatever else I want to eat or shop or anything like that. So that is a whole system that's built on faith. Faith, faith is a as a tangible thing that is the direct result of a confidence that we have. That's what this is. It's the substance, it's what's created And in the case of a Christian, it is a life. It is the way that you live based on a belief that you have. And you see, if you just have a belief and it doesn't lead to a faith, if it doesn't lead to a substance, then it's really, as James says, is merely dead. He goes on and says, it's the evidence of things that are not seen. God hasn't called us to a blind faith, but rather he has called us uh, to a faith that's a living faith, one that we live out. Paul says it this way he says for nevertheless i suffer these things or for this reason i also suffer these things nevertheless i am not ashamed for i know who i have believed he's talking about christ i know who i have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which i've committed unto him against that day i know i'm not wasting my time I know that I've been persecuted. I know I've been put in jail. I know I've suffered many, many things. I know I've done without certain things. But I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed because I know one day I'll be rewarded. I have confidence. I know who it is. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he will deliver on my salvation. That's what Paul is saying. And as Christians, that's the way not only should we talk, that's the way we should our conversation, our manner of life—that's how we should live, and that should be that should be an existence that we're committed to. Uh, so, this morning, I would ask you: Is your faith defined by a Christian shibboleth—a a set of standards and customs and ideals that that you share with other Christians? are you living that shibboleth out in every day that you live do other people in your life see and think there's something unique about that guy or that gal there's something different because they must believe something that i don't know i don't understand they seem to be happy when they're in a tough time they're going through something difficult and yet they're handling it much differently then I would be howling it. That's the, that's the way that we are to do that. And if we can do that, we're going to be great evangelists because we're going to bring people to God uh, through a shared sybarth. Our goal is to affect the world we live in by looking at it differently, by filtering it differently, and by living it out. So uh, this morning, if the church can help you in any way, if you believe that you have not been living the Christian shibboleth, you would like some help and some assistance in doing that, we're going to offer a song of invitation. Uh, we, would, we would ask you to come to front if the church can pray for you in any way. If you to just make a commitment to yourself that I'm going to do better, that's okay too. But uh, we stand ready to assist you uh, if you need our help. And so we'll ask you to stand and sing. Uh, as we There's stand